Welcome to the Saturday Frights Podcast. I am the Projectionist, your co-host for this radio program. Now, come join your host, Vic Sage, as we enter the vault to once again discuss retro horror films and television programs. <laughs> that is seriously one enormous jukebox projectionist. Nothing but the best for my staff at the vault. This common room will help them relax from the rigors and stress of their daily duties. I'll have to special order it. Took quite some time for it to arrive here at the haunted drive-in. It sort of looks like an AMI Continental model to me. Although, where the record carousel and turntable are usually located, there is a miniature drive-in theater and even a screen. That is a really nice touch. Does it play CDs? What is a CD? No, this model is rather special, Victor. A brilliant engineer from New York City was able to craft it for me. After I provided him with some <laughs> special and rare items for some project, an experiment of his. Look at the plaque upon the jukebox. Alexander Hardigan Amusements. Huh. Never heard of his company. I can tell you, though, that the miniature drive-in under the bubble is really breathtaking. So lifelike, my friend. Might I possibly borrow a dime? I seem to have left my wallet in my other clothes. Yeah. I got some change right here. Wait, what other clothes? You just wear the same cloak and hat every single day of the week. Thank you, dear boy. Now, pay attention to that drive-in display in the jukebox. Box. Wait! Wh that is amazing, Projectionist! The drive-in ad is playing on that little drive-in theater screen. Wow! How does it work? One must insert a single dime into the jukebox and press the proper button code for the desired musical selection. And then, the appropriate footage will be displayed on that drive-in replica screen. So, how do you know what button combinations to enter, though? I sure don't see a catalog on display. As a matter of fact, the keyboard here appears to have more than letters and numbers to choose from. That symbol, what is that key there? Ow! Do not touch that surge. Of course, there is no listing. This stupid box holds over 10,000 pieces of music for the vault employees to enjoy at their leisure. They need only come and ask me what they want to listen to, and I will enter 
the correct button code for them. Provided they have a dime to feed the jukebox. I am already out of pocket, obviously, for providing this majestic machine in the common room. Wait. Our co-workers are going to have to ask you to enter the button combination every single time they want to listen to a song? Of course! This jukebox is far too precious to allow the staff to freely use it. Look at how those electronic one-arm bandits hold up at the video arcade you are employed at. This here is a one-of-a-kind creation, a work of art, and must be operated by someone who understands how to take care of it, yes? I should have known there would be some kind of catch. You said it contains 10,000 songs? How? I mean, even with the fact it's about twice as large as any jukebox I've ever seen, the song selection must be digital, right? It is most certainly not digital. I doubt your feeble mind could understand how it is even powered, much less the science of the rings that contain the audio recordings. And I never said it possessed 10,000 songs, dear boy. I said it housed over 10,000 pieces of music. This jukebox, beyond containing a complete library of vintage driving intermission advertisements, holds the musical scores for a slew of horror pictures. Soundtracks? This jukebox holds over 10,000 soundtracks? Correct. That is beyond incredible, man. You need to let me do an article on the pop culture retroama site to show off the jukebox in action. The readers would love to see and hear about this special invention. Absolutely not. Professor Alexander Hartigan is a man who respects his privacy. The two of us have a gentleman's agreement that we will not promote or advertise his creations. Uh, that might be out of our hands, my friend. Look, over on the wall, the control panel. It looks like we're recording, projectionist. Friends, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Saturday Frights podcast. Originally on this episode, we were going to be talking about the just-released third movie in The Conjuring series. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. But as the projectionist has obtained a rather special jukebox, it's given me an idea. Oh, I am sure that the dear listeners are very used to your tardiness and broken promises on our radio broadcast by now, Sage. What is this idea you just mentioned, though? I was all set to discuss the film and the liberties it takes with the facts of the trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. I'm sure you were, my friend. It definitely seemed like I enjoyed it more than you did. But how about we put that jukebox to the test? How so? Allow me. Attention, all vault employees. The projectionist has been gracious enough to install a special jukebox in the common room on level 7. If you have a moment to spare, 
use the intercom and let us know your top five favorite horror film and TV soundtracks. Let's see if we can stump our shadowy co-worker. How very droll, Victor. Oh, hey! Good! Our first catch of the day, Projectionist. Hi, friends. Rockford J here, and I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about five of my favorite horror movie and TV series soundtracks. My first selection is Horror Express by John Cacavas from the 1972 Spanish-British co-production directed by Eugenio Martin and starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas. This is a wonderful, quirky sci-fi horror film with an equally diverse score. From a great whistled main theme to cliched oriental mysterioso music, mock Russian classical, and old-fashioned stock stings, all with an undercurrent of jazz. It's a very satisfying listen, whether with the film or on its own. I quite agree, Rockford J. Which is why this joke box happens to feature that very soundtrack in its library of musical scores. My second selection is John Carpenter's The Fog, composed by John Carpenter, duh. This is my favorite John Carpenter score, not merely because of its trademark ambient droning dread building and scary synthesizer stings, but also for its beautiful melancholic piano melodies and even some harpsichord thrown in. This one is a great listen. I totally agree with you about this particular soundtrack, my friend. I know we touched upon it when we discussed The Fog. I believe it was episode 75 of the show. While I did enjoy the soundtrack for John Carpenter's Halloween, it's a course of classic, it was The Fog that really made me sit up and take notice of Carpenter's ability to craft some amazing soundtracks. Actually, beside John Williams' Star Wars score, The Fog might have been the first movie that hooked me on building a soundtrack library as a young adult. What do you have in the number three slot, Rockford? My next selection is the 1979 version of Dracula, composed by John Williams. The film was directed by John Badham and starred Frank Langella, Laurence Olivier, Kate Nelligan, and Donald Pleasance. The film was a lush retelling of the Dracula legend, and John Williams gives it a lush, romantic score with a bold main title theme that is as good and as specific to the genre as any of his 1970s scores, including those for Jaws, Star Wars, Superman, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This is a score that is kind of forgotten in the Williams oeuvre only because of the amazing scores that he went on to do for the remainder of his career, but it's one absolutely worth checking out, and it's a great listen on its own. Perhaps the dear listeners would like to hear a snippet of the musical score from 1979's Dracula. Yes? My next selection is from one of my favorite horror TV series, Kolchak the Night Stalker. 
There were multiple composers over the course of the series' 20 episodes, but my favorite scores are by the composer Gil Millet, who also wrote the iconic Whistled main title music for the series. Millet, who also wrote one of the main title themes from Rod Serling's Night Gallery series, was a pioneer of electronic music, elements of which inform, enhance, and scarify his music for the earliest episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker. That intro, as well as the theme composed by Gil, really helped sell the premise of The Night Stalker. That Darren McGavitt's character of down-on-his-luck reporter Carl Kolchak is just an everyman. An everyman, perhaps, that frequently encounters the supernatural, the otherworldly, and other monsters of the week. You have one more chance, Rockford J, to... Stump me, as Victor so inelegantly phrased it. My last selection is the Rocky Horror Picture Show by Richard O'Brien, adapted, of course, from the original stage production. The durable and memorable songs, which run the gamut from melancholic nostalgia to show-stopping up-tempo numbers to torch song balladry, has helped the film endure the test of time. Aspects of the film, which were shocking and groundbreaking upon its original release in 1975, are almost quaint in 2021, but the songs are just flat-out great, and the themes and emotional content of the music allow the movie to continue to connect with people across generations. And that, friends, is my five favorite horror movie and TV soundtracks. I hope you'll give them a listen, and thanks for listening to me. Honestly, how could I possibly consider this jukebox to house some of the finest musical scores if I fail to include that memorable 1975 film adaptation of the stage play? Rockford, thanks a million for sharing that list, man. I'll catch up with you tomorrow. I know that Preston Griffith said he needed some help on the vault library. We need to go through some recent donations. I'll see you then. That was a really solid top five selection from Rockford. Wouldn't you agree, Projectionist? When one has spent as much time as Rockford has working around me, dear boy, a little good taste is bound to rub off. Yes. That is certainly one way to look at it, my friend. Oh, hey. It looks like Ashley Thomas is contacting us. Hey, Ashley. Are you ready to try and stump the projectionist? As you all here in the vault may know, I've been amassing for myself a small collection of movie scores and soundtracks on vinyl for a couple years now. One I'm still on the hunt for is that of 1977's Suspiria. The entire film is scored by the band Goblin, and they've also worked with Dario Argento on some of his other films. One of the reasons I love this score so much is that as a drummer, the percussion on this score is absolutely insane. If any of you listeners have not seen the 1977 Suspiria, watch it in a theater or surround sound if at all possible. My first viewing of this film was in a theater at my local independent theater, the Ayers Le Grand, back in 2018 during their October Retro Horror Month.
each of the instruments comes through a different channel, um, which in a theater or a surround sound situation is incredibly disorienting. The music is also extremely loud and it adds to the terror on the screen. I really think we should add this one to the jukebox. It already has been, my dear friend. Alien is my all-time favorite movie. While I enjoy the score very much, and I mean, hey, it's a Jerry Goldsmith score, as far as I'm concerned, the man has never composed a bad one. I don't think I ever really truly sat down and listened to his score for Alien until the other day. I've been fortunate enough to see Alien five times on the big screen. And frankly, that's no small thing, considering it came out six years before I was born. I think one of the reasons that I never truly listened to the score is that when the score is paired up with the images on the screen, the music matches the terror so perfectly that I was only thinking about the terror on the screen. When I listen to the score on its own, I'm struck by just how vividly each scene comes to mind with so much as a musical phrase. If you want a great example of this, give Facehugger a listen. You'll hear the Facehugger creeping around in your head, which I suppose is better than on your face. I think it would definitely enhance the creepy atmosphere of the haunted drive-in. Ashley, having the luxury of being able to look at Alien 42 years after its initial release, it is, in my opinion, one of those rare films that can be said to be perfect. I know we touched a little on that when we tackled the movie on the podcast. Alright now, in your top 5 horror soundtracks, what takes the number 3 slot? I think possibly my favorite film of 2019 is Jordan Peele's Us. The score, composed by the brilliant Michael Abels, does some very interesting things with the music. He uses the same musical phrase, but as an echo played in different tones, which I think really adds to the doppelganger aspect of the film. One other thing that I think is interesting about the film is how thematic the songs are, matching what is happening on the screen perfectly. One example of this idea is the song Run, which features a type of musical cat and mouse routine that's acted out on screen by Zora Wilson and Umbri, both played by Shahadi Wright Joseph. An even better and perhaps more impactful musical cat and mouse is Pa de Deux, which plays over the final showdown between Adelaide and Red, both played by Lupita Nyong'o in an Oscar-worthy performance. Pa de Deux is a ballet term, which means a dance for two. And if you've seen the film, you know why that's important. However, my most favorite song on the score is the opener, Anthem. When I saw the movie, I thought the song was being sung in Latin, as I recognized one of the words as a Latin word, dona, which means gifts. Imagine my surprise when I read an interview with Michael Abels on Slate.com, where he clarifies that all the words in Anthem are just nonsense words. I was both mad and struck <laughs> by its brilliance. I'll be sure to include a link for Vic to share with the listeners in the show notes for this episode so you can read that interview too. Needless to say, I think for a bit of freshness to our retro horror jukebox, we should add the score for us to the lineup. I can assure you, Ashley Thomas, it already has a place of honor upon this jukebox.
Perhaps the only thing more haunting than Tony Todd's voice in the 1992 Candyman film is the score by Philip Glass. It's absolutely majestic. Again, this is a film I was fortunate enough to catch in the theater for my first viewing during the October Retro Horror Month at my local independent theater, The Ayersley Grand. Being able to experience that haunting pipe organ score with theater sound was incredibly impactful. When I think about that score, the words beautiful and tragic are what come to mind. If that isn't a great summation of Candyman 1992, I don't know what is. What do you say, projectionist? I've made no secret that John Carpenter's original Halloween, 1978, is my favorite horror film of all time. And a big part of that is because of the score. However, as deep as my love runs for that film and score, I think its sequel, Halloween 2018, might have exceeded it in at least the score department. The score for that film is composed by John Carpenter, his and Adrian Barbeau's son Cody Carpenter, and his godson Daniel Davies, and is the first Halloween film that John Carpenter has been directly involved in in some time. While the score has original songs, the songs that I personally think are the most fascinating are the ones that are a type of theme and variations on the original score. My personal favorite is Halloween Triumphant, which closes the film. I've got the score for this movie on vinyl, and it does not cease to make me bob my head and dance around my house every time I drop the needle. Any votes for this score? No need for a vote, as it is already included in the musical score lineup, Ashley Thomas. I totally agree about how great the 2018 Halloween soundtrack is, my friends. For what it's worth, I too am lucky enough to have it on LP, and the track, Halloween Triumphant, is also my favorite on the soundtrack. What makes it stand out the most for me is that it has a little nod, I believe, to the score for In the Mouth of Madness. Somehow, Carpenter and his band have managed to give the familiar Halloween theme in this case some teeth. It feels like the track is an ode to Michael Myers. It's aggressive. Ashley, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to provide your top five horror soundtracks. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Projectionist, I hope you realize I wasn't really trying to get our coworkers to stump your soundtrack selections for your jukebox. I was just having a bit of fun with you and Hey, looks like we have another Vault employee with a top five selection. Earl here with one of my favorite horror movie soundtracks. Let's talk about Jerry Goldsmith's score for Twilight Zone, the movie. Now, I know we haven't given Goldsmith enough love yet, so I thought I'd just take one for the team and mention him here. Yeah, I know, that's a bit of a joke. Twilight Zone, the movie, because it tells multiple stories, you kind of get multiple Goldsmith scores just crammed together, and it's wonderful. I especially like the first story out of the bunch, as well as the remake of uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, where Goldsmith just kind of goes berserk at the end, and you can kind of hear the idea for Gremlins taking root as he is scoring that section of the movie. Go give it a listen, and then go listen to Gremlins, because the Gremlins rag started happening on a plane. You are quite correct, Earl Green. I have the musical score upon the jukebox already. Let us see if the dear listeners can pick out what would become the Gremlin Rag. Mm -hmm. 
Invasion was an ABC series from the late 2000s that was trying to be a companion piece of sorts to Lost, except with a little bit more of a horror element, but still with that kind of maddening, ongoing, unfolding storyline thing that Lost had going. And it was actually, it was actually a really decent show. I liked the cast. The story was interesting. It was kind of a slow burn body snatcher thing going on. The music by John Ehrlich and Jason Derlaka was really good in setting the tone for that because sometimes if what was on screen didn't quite sell that this was something scary going on, their music would seal the deal and make you realize, oh hey, something really scary is going on. And they really went off the rails with the, uh, the season finale, which turned out to be the series finale, unfortunately. It's one of those wonderful unresolved cliffhangers that you get in TV from time to time now, that we are in this age of, you know, everything has to be serialized, nothing can be episodic, there's no such thing as a self-contained episode, and we're building up to something, and oh, oops, we got cancelled. Which is really sad, if only for the fact that we never got a second season, and therefore never got a second season soundtrack. Earl, I have to admit that I never even heard of Invasion. I'm not sure what I was doing when it originally aired, but I definitely want to check it out for myself. Congratulations, Earl Green! You have in fact chosen a musical score that I have managed to not have included on the vault's new jukebox. Very well done, dear boy. Do you have another selection to share? Let's also pause to pour one out for an underappreciated TV horror soundtrack. I am talking about Fred Mullen's CD of music from Friday the 13th, the series. I was a big fan of that show, not just for its atmosphere and its stories, but, you know, also for Roby. But Fred's music was uh, an important ingredient in that too, and I always really enjoyed it. Now, this is a television series that I not only knew about Earl, but I absolutely adored. I still do. I have the complete series on DVD and frequently pop it into the player and enjoy the adventures of Mickey, Ryan, and Jack Marshak as they attempt to locate and safely lock away the cursed objects that Louis Vendretti sold to unwitting customers during his lifetime. Projectionist, I don't believe we've had the chance to discuss that series on the podcast yet. But what about your jukebox? Does it have the soundtrack for Friday the 13th, the series? <laughs> I know that uh... Bear McCreary has written more than one horror movie soundtrack, so it's kind of hard to pick one. For me, it's really easy, even though I, I realize that there is a widely divergent set of opinions on the movie itself. But let's talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay, so we have Bear McCreary scoring a psychological horror film. Check. Yes, I'm in. He's doing it with the blaster beam. Oh, hell yes. Check. I am totally in. The world needs more musical scores featuring blaster beams. Uh, 
I'm not sure if anyone listening to this has heard of the movie Possum, which is a really is deeply disturbing psychological horror movie out of the UK. Um, it has a great soundtrack by one of my favorite assemblages of electronic musicians of all time, the former members of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Now they are just known as the Radiophonic Workshop without any connection to the BBC, but it is absolutely the same composers, technicians, just nerds with synthesizers who like making weird analog sounds that perfectly fit the movie. And the funny thing is that the director of the movie actually put it together with a temp track, which is, you know, you borrow someone else's soundtrack basically to edit to, and found that their stuff worked really well to the point that he was going to try to license some of their existing pieces of music. But when he approached them about that, they said, no, actually, if we we'd be perfectly happy to do a completely new score for your movie. And so you talk about one of those little bits of serendipity that just doesn't happen often enough in movie making. It's a really disturbing movie, and it's a really dissonant, disturbing score, all achieved with electronic equipment that just isn't often employed in making music anymore in this day and age of sampling. Earl, you've chosen another subject that I've somehow managed to not be able to check out for myself. Although, I see online that at the time of our recording this podcast, that the movie is available for free on the Voodoo streaming service. So what about Earl's fifth soundtrack suggestion, Projectionist? Do you have it on that jukebox of yours? Naturally, Victor. Earl, thanks a million for those suggestions, my friend. Hey, maybe we can meet up at the arcade later this week. Have a good one, man. And friends, I think that about wraps up this special episode of the Saturday Frights podcast. Here now, Serge. What about your top five horror soundtracks? Ah, uh, the listeners get to hear what I like enough as it is. We've managed to point out a ton of the soundtracks, over 98 official episodes of the show, my friend, plus all of those matinee specials of the podcast. So let's just end the episode here, man. Friends, thank you as always for taking time out of your busy schedule to check out the show. I want to give a huge thank you to our friends at the vault who were kind enough to share their top five horror soundtracks with us. Ashley Thomas is the nerdy blogger. She keeps her own blog at nerdyblogging.wordpress.com. You can also find her on Twitter at the nerdy blogger. And on Facebook, you can look her up under Ashley Thomas, the nerdy blogger. Ashley is also a regular contributor to Fangirlish.com, where she writes about film and television. In addition to the fact that she is writing scripts for Roddenberry Entertainment's The Sci-Fi 5 Podcast. So make sure to check out her work. Earl Green has long been active in the pop culture and retro community with the likes of TheLogBook.com, one of the longest-running websites devoted to everything from classic video games to music and toys and so much more. Earl is also frequently featured on the Sci-Fi 5 podcast. Not to mention, he's also a member of the pop culture Retrorama site as well. Rock for Jay is not only an author on the Saturday Frights Facebook page, but also an author on the pop culture Retrorama site. Rock for Jay, almost every single day, shares his love of retro horror on the Saturday Frights Facebook page. 
Speaking of, The Projectionist has shuttered his personal page for the time being, but normally posts at least once a day on the Saturday Fried's Facebook page. The music you heard at the beginning and ending of our podcast was provided by Peachy. Peachy is on Twitter, by the way, PeachyPixel8. As for myself, you can still find me posting on not just the Saturday Frights Facebook page, but the Diary of an Arcade Employee page too. And of course, the Pop Culture Retrorama site. Although, in the last few weeks, thanks to my new job, I'm afraid my output has come almost to a standstill. Saturday Frights has an Instagram account, by the way. If you want to check it out, you can find it. It's simply Saturday underscore Frights. If you'd like to contact me with suggestions for future episodes, you can reach me at vicsagepopculture at gmail.com. For all things pop culture and retro-related, feel free to visit us over at the Pop Culture Retrorama site. Of course, we owe a great deal of gratitude to the Retroast himself. Not just for originally hosting the podcast, but for allowing us for nearly 10 years to share our love of all things retro. If you like the show, consider subscribing and giving us a rating over on iTunes. Our past catalog of episodes are slowly coming back online, but you can still listen to the entire collection over on the Internet Archive. You should be able to find it just by typing in Saturday Frights Podcast into Google. I think the one episode that always pops up is Phantasm. We are also available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. This has been a Pop Culture Retrorama Podcast. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. The Saturday Frights Podcast is not affiliated with or authorized by any of the businesses or individuals that have been mentioned in the show. All music and sound clips are the property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purpose of review, criticism, and commentary only, and are not intended to infringe.